the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. Yes, indeed. The time is 6.07 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Why are gun sales rising? Gun sales are rising. It just seems like it's becoming a huge uh, second win for um, our Second Amendment. Gun sales are rising. And who are buying them? You would be surprised. Well, maybe, maybe not. On the one hand, liberals are buying guns. Yep, the folks that are uh, on the part of policy wanting the government to take every gun that you have away from you, they're buying guns. And there is a great increase on the part of women buying guns. Now, why would liberals and women be buying guns today? Isn't your country safer than it ever has been? The answer is no. They see our cities being turned into Batman's Gotham where the crime can and will not be addressed by our psychopathic politicians. This is what I was saying that Mr. Or- Mr. H.G. Wells was saying. Government loves for chaos to erupt, even if they generate that chaos, because they get to come in and rescue you. But the price is going to be your freedom. So um, uh, it was one recently fired attorney general, female attorney general, who in the name of woke equity allowed a young, violent African-American male to 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 be released several times from the court system. And he had a potential for serious harm. Well, guess what? He got, he got into a reckless car race and he killed an innocent person. And this female, she happens to have been African-American as well, somewhere in the uh, Midwest, would not charge this young man with uh, a a felony crime and put him in jail. So what did the governor had to do? The governor had to fire her because she would not leave her office. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? When you've got this woke ideology and people sticking their head in the sand, It means that the powers that be, the structures that be, are letting the inmates out, and no pun intended, but it's the idea of the destabilization of your society and allowing men and women to uh, live comfortably or at least cautiously in a disrupting society to let it get so bad that we are willing to let the government come in by major, major technological force and authority at the level of Star Wars, as you know, because they have the ability to do more than just use guns to, uh, to deal with citizens, and they will. Once the society has reached a fevered pitch of wanting to... Um, to, to rise up in conflict. This is why we believe that these manufactured famines and manufactured uh, 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 economic inflation uh, speculations are, are fabricated in order to get men and women into states of frenzy, fear, anxiety, stress, and hostility uh, so the government can come in and say, all right, we're going to confiscate all resources. And the only way you can buy or sell is if you follow our method of commerce. 
and that's right around the corner from you because it's already happening in other countries and your media won't let you know. It's already happening in other countries. It's going to happen here too. Gradually, they are going to impact our economic system, impact our food sources, and we will be uh, forced to be in a line or go to the store at a certain time or only buy certain products when they say so. And it will not be in the abundance and plentifulness that you and I are dealing with right now. Please believe me in the next couple of years, it'll be coming to California. I told my congregationists, I said, California will be one of the last states to experience it because we're such a major import export hub for the world. But our food prices will be as they are now exponentially higher. And what that will mean is that, um, you know, um, Californians will be able to extend their deception, their convenience deception for another couple of years. But once the prices get so bad that people can't afford it, then they'll begin to wake up. But by then, the structures will be in place. If they're not going to be ready to do some of the extreme things that people are already doing, they will simply be captives of um of a reset and uh, they'll just they'll do whatever the government says. That's what's going to happen. It's on it's on its way. You're looking at it. Remember what I said. I want to now go to line number. Let me see here. Can I get this up? Line number three and begin a conversation with Dave from Oakland. Dave, are you there? PJ. Hey, what's going on, man? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I I had a couple of uh, questions I wanted to ask you. Sure, you can pose them, and hopefully, uh, if we have to, we'll carry it over the break and pick it back up. Okay, so the first one uh, just got it has to do with uh, just um, being the daddy and doing daddy stuff. Like, how do you have an open line? Uh, communications with your kids, right? Because you want yeah. to, to be, you want them to trust you, right? But then yeah. you also still want to encourage them to be, you know, as holy as possible. But then, so my question is, when you do that and things, they, and they don't want to, and they still want to do whatever it is that they, they want to do, say, like, they want to experiment with drugs or uh, they want to listen to secular music or they want to, you know, uh, have sex, whatever it is. Uh, how do you keep the, encourage them to, you know, be holy, but then also, you know, like, prepare them for the stuff that they want to do without, like, approving or supporting? Right. You know, uh, what are the ages that you're dealing with? Teenagers. How old? I need to know. Uh, uh, 13 and 15. Okay, right. So there you go. We're right on the cusp of um, of the uh, rebellion. Uh, and so right. you and your wife are going to have to learn how to deal with the innate rebellion of your children. It's in their nature. You know that. We've been teaching that for years. You're going to have to manage it until they break out. Uh, a couple things that I often tell parents is this. When our kids hit 13 or 14, give them a very clear picture of how to leave home. 
give them a very clear picture of how to leave home. Because if and one of the mistakes parents make is they don't help the kids prepare for an exit strategy. And therefore, the kids don't have a sense of it's only going to be three or four more years and then I'm free. Uh, and, and they don't have a sense of it because they don't know how to make out all of the factors that go into that freedom. But if you start first with your kids talking to them about, so what 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 does your future look like? What you want to do? What do you want to do at 17, 18, 19 years old? Um, and the reason I want to bring that up is because I want to help you work your way towards it, whether that means getting a job after school, um, et cetera. That's what we want to do. Me and mom want to help you get your freedom as soon as possible. When the kids have a sense that it's only going to be a few years, Dave, before they are out of the house, they will less likely, not totally, depending on their nature, they will less likely um, go behind you and do desperately wicked things. They're going to do some and you will know it. But they will less likely go behind you and do desperately wicked things if they know that you want them out the house. You want them to be independent. You want them to go their own way and make choices for themselves. Obviously, we want them to do the right thing, but they're going to have to find out for themselves. You know this, that they're hellbound sinners and only grace can deliver them from their their evil practices. They're going to have to figure it out for themselves. I thank God for the parable, the prodigal. Uh, son, it hurts, but it's the reality. Unless your kids are truly born again, they're going to live like hell. The thing that you want to do is set them up for the freedom to do that, because you guys have done all you could to educate them. You really have um, at from a child up to 12, 13, 14 years old. They've heard all they need for them to answer to God for themselves. Ultimately, your job is to lay out a platform so they can leave. Uh, and then you and mama simply pray for them. Y'all don't have to fall apart. She doesn't have to pull her hair out. Neither do you. Um, you pray for them because ultimately they are the creation of God. Your stewardship ends about 13 or 14. This is why there's a bar mitzvah for boys in the Jewish culture at 12 and 13 and a bar mitzvah for women of the same age. By the time they're 14, 15 years old, they're set. They're set. And uh, and so start by having an open conversation about their strategy to leave home and uh, and how soon that will be. And therefore, work with them to uh, operate morally and ethically as much as possible between now and then. And uh, and if you and your mama can facilitate their their exit, then do that, because the big problem today, as I stated, is people don't know how to separate. They don't know how to do it without, you know, getting mad and blaming somebody and, you know, giving a kind of a grievance premise for leaving. We don't have to do that. We can be honest about it. Let's just work it out. I hope that helps you. We can expand on that. Of course, you see me face to face from time to time, and we'll do that. Got to take a hard break. Three lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Three lines open. No, two lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. Indeed, we are. The time is 622. Unvaccinated Novak Djokovic can't play in the U.S. Open and Miami Open, uh, even though he played in the Australian Open and won. The greatest tennis player in the world um, is presently being held up by our administration 
because uh, they want to continue to pretend that the unvaccinated are a danger to our society. Now, Senator Rick Scott and Marco Rubio urge President Biden to grant tennis champion a request and a waiver of a mandate so that he can uh, play. Senator Rick uh, Scott and uh, Marco Rubio, you guys know them, just wrote a graceful letter to President Biden urging him to grant Novak Djokovic request to waive the current COVID-19 vaccine mandate for international travelers entering the United States. I don't even know what to say. I'm going to go on because it's so stupid. The false concern, the false concern is so stupid, so irrational, so um, it makes our, our government looks look like Laurel and Hardy and the Three Stooges, just imbeciles, anti-science, anti-social, anti-rational, anti-biblical. It's just dumb. I mean, Australia is much more draconian with their COVID policies than most other countries. When you look at what they did, they locked people up. But here our government wants to play a game of uh, of uh, we still got a real problem. No, we don't. And I love Djokovic for standing on his principle. The uh, senators show great restraint, said uh, uh, Mr. McCullough, in their missive, which set forth a rational argument for letting the champion into the country to play. Here's what Mr. McCullough said. I would have been tempted to tell the president that his discriminatory policies against foreign national visitors is an insult to common sense, science, basic principles of liberal democracy and the spirit of international sportsmanship going back to the ancient Olympic Games. Hear, hear. There will come a day when the Biden administration's conduct in this matter is generally regarded as an embarrassing disgrace. It's true. It will show up to be stupid. It seems to me that those who are responsible for it are either captured by undisclosed interests. Now, Mr. McCullough knows what those interests are. Completely out of touch with reality are most likely a combination of both. Even the Australian government, with its abominable treatment of Djokovic in 2022, had the common sense to let him play in this year's Australian Open, and he won handily. He is a giant. Bra- uh, Bravo, Senator Scott Rubio. Shame on Djokovic, fellow players and the U.S. Professional Tennis Tennis Association for their failure to protest the exclusion of their distinguished colleague. Without him, uh, tennis would be a hollow victory for whoever wins the men's division. And he's right. I mean, this is insane. I mean, Djokovic is a massively gifted player, but the problem is. He's on the right side of reason and logic. He's a spiritually minded man that says you're not going to take my body and put anything in it that I don't want. And that narrative doesn't work in this wicked, abominable culture. All right. Let me see here. I need to go to line number four and talk with Sean from Rioto. Sean, are you there? I'm here, Pastor Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Doing great. Excellent. So what's on your mind? What you what what are you thinking through these days? So I had a I had a, two things at this time. Um the first thing would be so I know uh I saw that uh Grace planted a church in Tracy, California, uh very recently. Yeah. And uh so But we, we planted a work, it's not quite a church yet, it's a it's a campus. 
It's a community uh, that's ex- an extension of our Hayward work. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, so just like how would you discern this type of situation if it, if it came up in your life as far as um, moving um, and God showing the sign of eventually? So the, the situation is I saw that that um, – campus is set up there in Tracy and then recently a job position opened up that I know potentially if I were to apply for it, mm-hmm. it would, I would most likely get it. And I was looking at the addresses and that job would be like literally a five minute drive away from that Tracy campus. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just looking at that. I'm like, Oh, like, and that's the only property in that area that my the company I work for actually has property, you know, in, in Tracy. And yeah. so I'm just looking at that. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it like, a, like providentially, like I don't believe in con- uh, coincidence at all. And if, if we were to do that, that would be a really big move for my family and everything. And so like, how would you discern that sort of, that sort of thing happening? Yeah, I would have to need. I would. I would need more information. But a couple, two or three things would be um, uh, needed as a requisite. First and foremost, you need to. Um, you would need to be able to know exactly what your family needs um, by way of um, spiritual fellowship, because we're in formation uh, there at the Tracy work, and and it's still vitally connected to us that are that's here in Hayward. So obviously, a community is more than just what comes out of the pulpit. Um, for you to make such a move as you would be making uh, economically from up there where you are, I would not want to put you in a situation where. You would be you would give up certain things for a few things that might not amount to what's really needed holistically for your family. Although, obviously, you know, we would want we would love for you to for you to be here Would your work. And this probably should be something we would talk up, talk about offline. Would your work be secure uh, if you were uh, living up in the Stockton area? Uh, yeah, uh, it, would. it would. It would be secure. It would, yeah. And then um, the housing, I would actually, we would actually live where I worked. And so the housing would be almost comped. Like the, the rent would be significantly reduced and it would be a really nice area we'd be living in. Yeah, so you're saying wow. there's a good possibility of something more substantially uh, helpful at both the residential level as well as an opportunity to get your family into consistent public worship. Right, right. Yeah. So what? So what yeah. would be needed for that to come about uh, um, beyond um, applying for it? Um, other than applying for it, which, I mean, even if I apply for it, it doesn't necessarily mean I would get it. I mean, God is the one who would open or close that door. Ultimately, uh, there's also the reservation that my wife has about uprooting everything and moving six hours away, you know, um, and that's what I'm talking about. That. 
Yeah, yeah, there's that dynamic. That's why I'm saying this is a long conversation. This is not, if you're a single man, I'd say, sure, do it. But I know you have a lot of kids, too, and and it's important for you to count every facet of this possibility with you and your wife Mm -hmm. so that you can know that the upside um, more than justifies the potential downside. I think it's a longer conversation, and you and I can have that if we want to offline. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so email me on that and I can help you out. Would there be anything else that okay. you wanted to talk about that would be more public oriented in our discourse here? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I brought that out into the public. No, that's OK. I'm it's a beautiful thing. We'd love to have you up here if, if it's the Lord's will and we're walking in wisdom. Amen. Amen. Um, the, the other thing I, I found it really interesting. I didn't get a chance to listen to the, the middle of today's show because I was working. Sure. But, um, at the, I caught the very opening of the show. Um, how you were you, you spoke about uh, sprinkling and immersion. Um, yes. It, it was, I found it interesting. You brought that up. I, I'm in the middle of reading a book that a brother gave me uh, called The Mode and Form of Baptism. And my wife and I were actually having that discussion earlier today about the, the difference between immersion and sprinkling. And I was reading this book and there's some pretty compelling arguments for sprinkling that I had never heard before as it relates to uh, Christ's baptism and John's baptism. Where okay, John's so let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's take a break because my time is up. I want to come back and I want to hear at least your compelling, the compelling arguments so that we can go a little back and forth before I let you go. Hold on. Got to take a hard break. I've got, let's see here, uh, two lines open, one triple, no, one line open now, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one line open. If you guys want to join us on the Monday edition of Lifeline, I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, let's go back to uh, Sean on uh, line number four. I'll give you a few more minutes, Sean. What was your What was your thoughts about that? I mean, you know, you we're talking in house here. This is an in house debate, in house discussion. Uh, at least we at Grace don't um, we don't excommunicate people around uh, that particular choice. I have a lot of good Presbyterian brothers. Uh, who are um, obviously rantizodes, because that is the Greek term. You can't confound the terms linguistically, and they can't be confounded uh, practically, because otherwise, what's the meaning of words? But I I do know the arguments. They go way back, you know, to Calvin, obviously. Um, But what, 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 where were you first positionally? And then why do you feel like um, there would be an argument uh, pro rentizo or pro sprinkling that you think would uh, be justifiably held up by the scriptures? Well, I would say over the last uh, year or so, I've been uh, teetering on. affirming uh, covenant baptism or infant baptism, and then also uh, more recently looking at the forms and modes of baptism itself, uh, the sprinkling. Uh, Not fully sold on either one completely, but just really trying to objectively examine both both arguments, because I had never really done that. I just presupposed uh, immersion, because that's just what I was always taught and heard over the years, you know. Um, But as far as the, the sprinkling side of it, 
in this uh, book that I'm reading, talking specifically about Christ's baptism, um, it, it, the, the author quotes all of the Old Testament passages that deal with baptizing, um, and he's using the Hebrews verse where it's talking about the distinction between the milk and the meat of the word, and it says, like, resurrections from the dead, laying out of hands, repentance of, from dead works to faith, and then it says uh, washings of baptism. So that washing and baptism in Hebrews is a reference to all of the Old Testament law where you have the practices of the sprinkling and the washings. And so his argument is that when, when you see Christ telling John the Baptist that um, uh, he would be baptized so that all righteousness will be fulfilled, that fulfillment of righteousness is those Old Testament sprinklings and washings that specifically the priests would have to engage in in order to be anointed as priests. So the argument is when Christ was baptized, it was a sprinkling that's in step and more harmonic with all of the Old Testament law sprinklings and washings, which are always a sprinkling or a pouring, never an immersion. And so his argument is that Christ's baptism wasn't a sinner's baptism because he, didn't, he never sinned, but rather an anointing for his priestly ministry in accordance with the Old Testament law. And then that, that, uh, that model is to be echoed in believers being baptized in the sprinkling in the same way in the most prominent of baptisms that exist in the scriptures, which would be Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, where the, the Spirit of God came upon each individual believer represented as a flame of tongue upon them. And, and so that, that's kind of where there's more to it, but that's just what I was gathering from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and probably what I would do if I, I'm going to be nice about it, because I've, I've been in the reform community forever and I understand their arguments from a covenantal framework um, and, and obviously from a um, from a deep sacerdotal framework. He's focusing in on the priestly duties of Christ and he's narrowing his argument to the many modes of washings that were done in the priestly ministry, whether the washing of animals, the washing of clothes, the washing of, of, of utensils in the temple, etc., or the tabernacle. Uh, um, what he avoids is the significance of the term uh, rantizo in the Greek for sprinkling and the significance of the term baptismos, baptizo, um, and other derivatives of the uh, verbal expression of those terms. And, and as a consequence, he's able to kind of build from an analogy his argument for mode again uh, a very, very not even it doesn't even take a really a really solid exegete to to actually pinpoint the weakness in his argument um you would need a river to do that you know that um I, that was one of the things i finally just uh, that's why i decided to break with my brother in around sprinkling because they were using what we would consider peripheral arguments to um to demand an inference that in many cases is just inferred and not even uh definitely not uh, not not um specifically uh implicated in the text you don't go down into the water and then take some water and sprinkle. Even if we were doing pouring, which is uh, Luis, Luis, 
um, luo in the Greek. Its root its root is luo in the Greek, pouring. If we were to go into the water like uh, frequently, the um, the Lutherans would do, standing in the midst of the water, we would take some water and pour it on the top of the head of the um, uh, adult. That would be more reasonable for why we would get in water than if we were going to sprinkle. But now, of course, I understand all of the practical implications of sprinkling when we're talking about baptizing babies and children, which which extends us into another argument. That's the reason why I was done. And uh, as soon as you can find a place in the New Testament where babies were baptized or even sprinkled, rantizo, then I'm going to give that argument some justification. Otherwise, what we're dealing with is a method of hermeneutic that is starting from the peripheral with the inferential as opposed to the explicit and the obvious when you just let the New Testament speak. People are coming to the river in John's day. Uh, People are coming to massive bodies of water in the Apostles' day. Obviously, Acts chapter 8 is explicit, you know, in terms of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, There is nothing of the grammar in the New Testament that um, gives any real uh, prevalence to the modality of sprinkling as a New Testament sign, certainly Old Testament, yes, but we're in the New Testament. So one of the things our our Baptist brethren have often argued with our Reformed brethren about is trying to make an equivocating ground between the Old and New Testament as if the New Testament is nothing but the Old Testament glorified in the person and work of Christ and no advancement beyond it. And we would argue there is an advancement beyond the Old Covenant. For instance, the the fundamental argument that, well, the children were circumcised in the Old Testament. No, all the children weren't circumcised and therefore we don't baptize because the only children that were circumcised were the males. They could have circumcised females, you know that. But the argument of moving from circumcision to baptism is a fundamental argument by our Reformed brothers to build into their mechanism of sprinkling, the sprinkling of households. And what we would simply say, Sean, is that when you are pressed grammatically, pressed historically, um, it's going to be wanting at the level of grammar. It's going to have to be a lot of logic used, as you already know, and my Reformed brethren are good at it, and that's going to prove itself problematic down the line because that kind of method opens the door for a lot of different interpretations of a lot of different things that that can only be um, sustained by inference and not explicit testimony of Scripture or by obvious practice. And I only say that to let you know that, uh, you know, we've, we've that has been dealt with. This is why the Baptist community has not moved away from uh, the literal historical grammatical uh, argument of, of terms like baptism versus red. Or sprinkling because we we realize that opens the door for the baptism of babies and you won't find one example of that in the scripture. But that hermeneutic starts to actually really take us backwards and not forwards. And it creates a two people of God theory that we cannot uh, submit to. Children are not saved because they're baptized. They're not even close to saved because they're baptized. They're not to be presumed saved because they're baptized. We we know better than that. 
Um, and, and so um, and, and in all love, I lay out those arguments that when I was in that position and someone really challenged me on the explicit testimony of scripture around those things, it became evident to me that I would have to argue from inference and circular reasoning in terms of covenant theology. Than, uh, than I would from being able to show a simple sinner in the Bible what baptism looks like and who it is that gets baptized. The book of Acts is sufficient to lay that out. But again, whatever direction you move in, just make sure that you have opened yourself up to all of the arguments so that your leaning into the one is a consequence of having thoroughly heard both sides so that you wouldn't have to suffer some embarrassment down the line. Bless you, my brother. Email me, gbchay at gmail.com. Jackie and uh, James, I'll get you when I come back. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. Let me go to line number three and talk with Jackie. Jackie on line three. Jackie, are you there? Jackie on line three. She's not there. Okay, let's go to line number two and talk with James from the Bay on line number three. James, are you there? Hey, PJ, I'm here. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. What's your thoughts? Well, one, to revisit uh, the idea, or not the idea, the, the knowledge that we have that we know the media's, in the media that's controlled opposition, as for one, is a two-part, but I know we're short on time. Uh, so is this just the media a stunt, the fact that... Uh, uh, McCarthy released these, uh, the security footage to only uh, Tucker Carlson and Fox and not to other uh, and not to anyone else. Do you think it's a stunt? Uh, let's just begin there because that, that would be enough. you think that's a stunt? No, I don't think it's a stunt. I think it's a quid pro quo. I think it's what the left, what the right does when they are they ha- they have an advantage because there's been so much uh, leaking of information to the mainstream media on every front, everywhere that um, that when M- McCarthy, you know, had an opportunity, he wanted to make sure that a legitimate media <clears throat> outlet would be able to would, would be able to put it out there. He he owed that, so he did it. And uh, and that's that, I, you know, that that's what we're dealing with today, rather than a, an open, even keel left, right uh, news outlet that's independent from party lines. Um, you know, this is the way it's going to always go. The left will leak stuff to the left. The right will leak stuff to the right. And uh, and and that's all that that's all that that's all that will be. It's just trying to make some equanimity or some some even ground, given all of the manipulation and prevarication and and lying and distortion of facts that frequently comes from the media. Period. Um, so it, you know, if we were to just deal with some of the labels around this dialectic, sure, it's managed conflict. In the sense that all information that's given to any side is designed to manage the conflict <clears throat> and nudge people one way or the other or keep seeding people in their prejudices and their biases, you know, until election time comes around. And as I said, once we get in election time, these uh, propaganda machines, whether left or right, <clears throat> is going to be pouring it out and marching people to the polls like sheep led to the slaughter. 
um, already having a very strong uh, prediction of how they should measure and implement the outcome. As you and I know now that there's such a level of corruption in our political system that for anyone to believe that we're going to have a fair and honest election is exactly where the government in open conspiracy wants you to be. If we're not talking about a new methodology for dealing with elections to make sure that <clears throat> the computers cannot be um, easily uh, 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 interfered with by technology in China, which we already know is the case. Nobody's hiding that. Um, what they're not doing is simply admitting that that probability and, and plausibility that the data that goes in the computer is not the same data that goes into the tally. And when the tally comes, if you don't have the ability to see what happened with the information going in and the information going out, they can they can rig that thing to where it's going to always be a close election. But the man or the woman that they want to win will have will have won unless we change that mechanism around we're we're really laboring in vain. Um, uh, you can extend on that if you want to. We still got a couple minutes. Uh, I you know, you know, I'm right on the I'm right on uh, on the bomb on the mark with you with that. Sure. Uh, I want to close with with this. I'm very interested. I know you don't have time to unpack it because you, uh, you opened it up. The uh, who's uh, buying uh, who's buying the guns? The liberals and the women. I can understand the women. I guess we have to talk online about the liberals. That, that that's interesting to me. Uh, it's not hard. I'll tell you why. And this is something we all have to keep trying to do. Because um, I talked to you about it and I talked to talk to my brothers carefully about it as we deal with the black and white of the left and right. The reality on the ground is that you still got a big sector that's somewhere in the middle on the spectrum and rational people um, are looking at the way our government is becoming Gotham City, uh, the Twilight Zone, psychopathic lane and every other wicked kind of, um, you know, uh, synthetically modified, created ghetto scenarios. And what people realize is that if they're going to uh, protect themselves, <clears throat> they're going to have to get about the business of doing it because the police will come too late. And the crime will have already been committed. And what people out of desperation will learn to do is go better him than me. And uh, in, 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 uh, in states where um, a person has the license to carry, um, you're going to find much less of an outbreak of absolute foolishness on a micro or macro level because of, uh, you know, tit for tat. And, and that, unset, unfortunately, until we civilize people by a gospel that changes the heart and causes men and women to respect each other so that disputes are dealt with civilly and in proportion to the actual dispute, and when criminal behavior is uh, explicitly seen in our neighborhoods, we gather together as, you know, law enforcement and stop it where our, our, our law enforcement agencies aren't capable. And I can tell you this, knowing that we already and you should know this, we have law enforcement in our communities at Grace. Every healthy law enforcement community loves and adores the possibility and factor that the citizens which they are called to um, watch for and, and, and safe care would be involved in that safe care as well. No, uh, uh, no 
healthy law enforcement agency would want to feel like it's their job solely to uh, guard and take care of the citizenry. That That's utterly insane. That's a recipe for failure. If we don't help and cooperate with our law enforcement and with legitimate methods for dealing with the outbreaks of crime, law enforcement will always be, be inadequate. And that's something that we need to take in mind and we can see the evidence around the state and the nation where law enforcement and society gets along well, We are in really, really good shape where law enforcement is exercising tyrannical pit bull Rottweiler type control over the citizens. Um, Gotcha, my friend. Um, It's it's an absolute mess. And the criminals are going to react to that kind of pit bullish behavior. Um, And you need that middle ground of good citizens uh, cooperating with law enforcement uh, to mitigate the excess uh, evil and criminal behavior of our fellow citizens. Uh, But that takes a lot of reformation, a lot of transformation to bring into being. Listen, thanks for the call, you guys. Tuesday night Bible study, 6.30 tomorrow at Grace. Friday night Bible study, 6.30. Again, Sunday worship. Lord willing, we'll see you next Monday. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.